0: Hey guys, this is Ed Ellington. I'm one of the producers of Civil Conversations with David Beria. Along with P.J. Lee, my partner and I, we wanted to bring you something a little different. Uh, Given that Trump came down here and gave his rally that was fairly disturbing for any American, but certainly for a reasonable modern-day Mississippian, we wanted to give David the opportunity to respond so that you could hear somebody who you know, is part of the world this day and age, and who is not part of the Mississippi of the past. So without further ado, here is a bonus episode of Civil Conversations with David Beria. Don't forget to go to beriaformississippi.com to support David and his race against Roger Wicker.
1: I had one beer, right? I had one beer. Well, do you think it was—nope, it was one beer. Oh, good.
2: How did you get home? I don't remember. How would you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. You're talking about the rally that occurred in South Haven, Mississippi, on uh, Tuesday night. And ironically, we were having a town hall about a mile and a half from there. Uh, But yeah, you know, when we finished our town hall, uh, someone immediately showed me the clip, uh, which I couldn't really hear in the the midst of the crowd that we had at our town hall. But uh, later on the way home, uh, I was able to play it, and it was just... It was, it was distressing because I think it's demeaning of the office of the president, but that's not the first time that this president has demeaned the office of the president. But it is also distressing because the way he attacks and humiliates or attempts to humiliate uh, Dr. Blase Ford I think has a, an effect on other women who have similar complaints And whether they will come forward or not, when the leader of the free world uh, treats them in in such a manner, I I think it's going to have a negative impact on them. Uh, And that's not what we ought to be doing. Our president ought to be encouraging women to come forward so that we can stop the kind of behavior that she complains of and, and not license it. But particularly distressing as a Mississippian was to see all of those smiling and laughing faces behind the president Uh, and hear all of that applause uh, when the president was doing these things that were so reprehensible. And all I can say to that as a Mississippian is that it's embarrassing, but uh, I firmly believe that it is a minority of the people in this state that were represented there Tuesday night and that a large percentage of the people that I know, which uh, includes Democrats and Republicans, men and women, old and young, white and black, do not feel that way. And and would have been if they had been there, um, they would have been extremely uncomfortable with those kind of rem- those kinds of remarks. So there, you know, clearly is a segment of our population in Mississippi and in America who would support this president no matter what he did, and they don't care about any evidence that he has cheated on taxes, cheated on his wife, um, assaulted women. Uh, you know, we could go on and on. I mean, as he claimed, he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, and they would still support him. But the majority of Americans, and and I believe a majority of Mississippians, find the comments that he made to be reprehensible, and and they would are are just as upset about them as I am. I think, um, you know,
0: I I know Roger Wicker to be a decent man. You know, I know his daughter's a, a decent woman, but like. What, what is your feeling about when you hear Republican—I mean, not that he even condemned anything, but when you hear Republicans make room for that type of behavior?
1: Well, you make room for that behavior by not standing up to it. And that has been my um, singular—well, it's been my constant criticism of my opponent because he and many other Republicans in Congress— Uh, Do not stand up to the president when he does things like he did Tuesday night. Um, And and I think that you can draw parallels to other uh, events in the history of the world and in the history of the country and the history of our state when good people did not speak up and they allowed bad people to do bad things and to say bad things. And it's I wouldn't draw a direct comparison to the you know, civil rights movement and the treatment of African-Americans in our state. But it is similar in that you have the leader of the free world saying such things in your own state and you're present there. And I don't I can't speak to whether Roger um, you know, smiled, laughed, clapped. I can't speak to any of that. But I can tell you this in the days that followed. Uh, The Tuesday night's remarks, Roger Wicker has said nothing uh, to condemn the president's remarks. And I think that speaks volumes.
0: Yeah. What is when 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 decent men don't do stand up when indecent things are happening? Like where are you know what? I don't know what's the problem,
1: you know, and and as a uh, 24 year incumbent senator, Uh, representing our state and the women of our state, and also a representative of America, I would argue that, you know, you have to stand up and condemn that kind of behavior. If you don't, you're giving tacit approval to it, and you're, uh, through that, you're encouraging more of it. That's a problem. And, you know, on a larger scale, Congress is simply not doing its job. We have three co-equal branches of government, and, one of the responsibilities of Congress is to be a hedge against a president that's out of control. And this Congress clearly has abdicated its responsibility to uh, be a co-equal branch of government and to be a hedge against irresponsible behavior of our current president. And Roger Wicker is a part of that.
2: When I saw that, one of the things that, that I flashed back to, not from personal experience, but just personal experience of seeing this stuff was this collection of postcards from the lynching era in Mississippi. And it looked like a cocktail party. You know, same all-white crowd, you know, various ages, smiling, laughing, having a bourbon. But there was a, a dead person of color hanging from a tree in the back of these photographs. And when I saw that, Tuesday, the stills, you know, from the conversation that he had with that same demographic, just laughing, smiling, happy. They weren't in any way, shape or form concerned about the other side of that story, you know, which was what you're just talking about. And I, I just felt sick to my stomach because I was like, here we are again in Mississippi with this moment where it's not just the deep South that's getting this wrong. It's the country, but we're now the of
1: yeah, we're we're the the focal point. We're we're what you um what's closely identified with it because of what's happened Tuesday night. And someone's written on this. I can't remember the name of the author, but I read an article, I believe yesterday in maybe the Post or um the Atlantic or, you know, one of those those um publications that I follow on Twitter, and I, you know, clicked on the article because the headline uh, was interesting to me, and they drew the exact same comparison that you just drew. Um, and that is that you look at those photographs from the the, the lynchings, uh, and I think they they particularly cited uh, one from Minnesota perhaps where there was a a man and a woman that appeared to be his wife, and they're holding hands and they're smiling while an African American person is hanging from a tree in front of them uh, and yeah that, that you know that cheering, jeering laughter uh, you know and I think the theme of that article uh, had to do with cruelty mm-hmm. and how they are reveling in cruelty. I mean, it's, it's very simple and base, but that's really what it is. The president was being terribly cruel to a person who has shown the courage to come forward and talk about a extremely traumatic event that happened to her. and And so he chooses to do a 180 from what he had said earlier in the week or le- perhaps last week when he said he found her to be credible. And and then he takes, well, first of all, he lied. He lied about what she could remember and what she couldn't remember. Okay, so let's let's, let's start there. The president lied about what Dr. Blase Ford testified to in front of the Senate panel. But more than that, he was simply being cruel to get laughter out of the crowd and to get support and and affirmation that he has to have that's why he does this uh from from the crowd of folks gathered in mississippi and they willingly obliged him by laughing and clapping and cheering uh, for his cruelty and and being cruel themselves in the process
2: how do we take that and Go to. I mean, I'm obviously did not grow up African American, but it's emotional for me to watch that kind of stuff happen to people. And then I I take it a step further and go, what must it feel like to be a woman in Mississippi, let alone in America, but in Mississippi after Tuesday night, a person of color in Mississippi after Tuesday night. How how do we tell them
1: a person who's not a Christian in Mississippi? Yeah. You can continue this. series for a long time it's just the other the other yeah it's demonizing the other
2: and how do we how do we look at them and and say there's still hope for you for us you know because that that the other night for so many people was like here we go
1: well you know i i believe and a part of this campaign has has been talking about the fact that you, you know you're a white dude pj so am i ed you're white too Uh, You know, we we have to stand up, and we have to say we're a part of that culture that has been cruel and mistreated the other, and we have to let folks know that we're not all like that, and we have to lead by condemning it and shaming it. And, and that's what happened in the civil rights movement. You know, when you had white folks, maybe not necessarily Mississippians, though there were some Mississippians, but people from outside of our state came down here and they helped register, um, you know, African-Americans to vote. And, you know, they they took a strong stand against what they perceived as um, racism and cruelty. Well, it's not perceived. It was, mm-hmm. you know, racism and and cruelty to the other. Uh, and in that particular case, it was people with dark skin. But, you know, we've had a history of doing that with, uh, you know, the Irish and Jewish people and now Muslim people. And um, certainly women um, have had less than a, a, you know, an equal stance in in the public square in our country and in our state and and still do in terms of their economic um, uh, achievements, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and equal pay is, is, is an issue as well. And, so I think we uh, have to stand up and we have to condemn it in the strongest terms and we have to shame our brothers and sisters who have the same color skin that we do uh, into uh, at least not being the smiling, cheering, clapping background when our president makes comments like that.
0: Like, like, did you have to think that it could be your daughters to know that that was wrong?
1: No, no. No, I, I get your point. Um, and I was not raised in such a way so that it was okay to be cruel to people. But I think that most of us have a similar upbringing that instills in us that sort of um, awareness and that we, you know, if if we don't act, at least we recognize it to be wrong. But there are obviously some of us that uh, don't recognize it to be wrong, or perhaps we do recognize it to uh, be wrong, but we have such a strong sense of needing to feel like we belong to the group that we just go along with it. Uh, I, I've never been that person. I just can't go along with it. Uh, and y- you know, y'all, uh, y'all may know uh, Nielsen Hubbard, yeah. Nielsen is uh, the son of a uh, my former law partner and good friend Dale Hubbard, and Nielsen's in the music business and has done very well, but I haven't seen him in a long time because he lives in Nashville. And he sent me an email about six months ago, and he reminded me of something that happened at a party in Jackson where um, I was, and Nielsen was obviously, and his dad, Dale was, and my son, Darden, was there as well. And somebody made a joke and used the N-word, and I called the guy out and he was an older person than me he was a well known guy in the Jackson area professional guy and I said don't you ever use that word around me or my family I'm not going to put up with it and I didn't even rem- remember it you know uh but Nielsen was right there and it apparently got his attention and so I don't I think it, maybe he has a child now and somehow it, it Something was placed into context, and he remembered that, and he sent me an email about it, and he said, I remember you doing this, and it really made an impression upon me. My point in saying that is, I, I don't know. That's just the way I am. Um, I know there are a lot of people who feel the way I do but might not have done what I did. So I think it's upbringing. It's personality. It's, you, you know, you just you, – you recognize something being wrong. Some people can step up and say something, some people can't. And other people, I think, perhaps, as I said before, recognize it to be wrong but have such a, a strong sense of needing to be a part of the group that they sublimate their awareness of the inherent wrongness of the act but, and simply go along with it out of that need to feel a part of a larger group. We have to stop demonizing the other because if for no other reason, it continues to hold us back. And there's an old adage, you know, as long as one man is holding his boot on the neck of another man in the ditch, they're both stuck in the ditch. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of where we are. And and a lot of it comes from policies that tend to, uh, you know, only lift up one side while pressing down the other, whatever, you know, quote, unquote, the other is in, in a particular instance. When I go around the state, a, a large part of what I talk about is what I would call my personal story because there are so few people who know me uh, you know, off of the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I have to tell them a little bit about me, about who I am and why I got into politics before I get into why I'm running for this office and what I intend to do with it. Uh, and so a part of my story, I talk about moving down to the Gulf Coast, losing everything in Katrina, and then losing a child a month later and and how those are two terrible tragedies that I wouldn't wish upon anybody but that you have to be able to try to find a silver lining in the darkest cloud. If you live in Mississippi, you better be able to find silver linings, right? And and so I try to I try to find the positive in the negative and make something positive out of every situation. And and I I talk about that in terms of, you know, losing uh, a child and losing my home is what prompted me to run for, for office and become involved in, in Mississippi politics. Losing a child is, is terrible. Uh, but, you know, without having lost a child, I wouldn't have the child that I have now, Max, that we adopted in 2008. He's a 10-year-old boy who's a gift from God. Um, there's just no other way to put it. But, you know, you have to be able to take um, the, the positive from the negative. I, I don't tell my story uh, in the double you know, double tragedy that we went through to get sympathy. I tell it because I want people to understand that I know what it's like to lose everything. I know what it's like to have to worry about how you put a roof over your family's heads, how you put clothes on their back, and how you, you know, do the basic things, food, clothing, and shelter. So I, I, I have empathy because of what I've been through. Uh, and, and the other thing that those losses do for me is they free me from fear. And and what I mean by that is I'm not going to be concerned about the consequences of doing what's right. I I was sort of that person already, but now consequences be damned. You know, the worst thing that can happen to a person has happened to me. And there's nothing that you or Phil Bryant or President Trump or anybody can do to me that's worse than what's already happened. So I'm not going to be concerned about consequences. And then and and to the African-American experience— Uh, I would add that because my child, Max, is biracial, that while I certainly don't have a lived experience, I am developing what I would call a learned experience, and I'm having conversations with my son uh, about things that I probably never would have considered because I'm a white dude, And, and now when we see on television that some African American parked his car in the wrong spot, and so he gets tased and spends a night in jail for having done absolutely nothing wrong, we talk about that why that happened and how he can avoid uh, those kinds of things happening to him as he gets older. Just as, as an example, uh, I hope he's never going to be, you know, in poverty. He's, he's going to have an education. He's, he's, he's going to have those opportunities because I'm going to make sure he does. But he's still going to be a dark-skinned person in a state that uh, doesn't value him as much as it values white-skinned folks right now. We're changing, but we've got a ways to go. Everybody seems to agree that something happened to Dr. Blase Ford and that she was courageous to come forward in the face of all those white men uh, and, and women on that panel and to tell America her story with really nothing to gain as I see it. And so, to me, that is a, it was an incredibly courageous act, which ought to be supported, and it ought to be uh, rewarded, at least in terms of giving her the benefit of the doubt, and and in doing so, we would encourage all women uh, to have to, to take similar courageous stands and and to speak uh, the truth about what happened to them, but. What the president did discourages that, and that's really the tragedy of it. Leadership, to me, involves speaking truth to power and and standing up for what's right, even if it costs you personally, costs you your job uh, as a politician. That you you have to do it. That's what leadership is about. But the other thing that that I recognize about my leadership style is that I listen to people. Uh, you know, and sometimes you're going to have people who have ideas that are in direct opposition to one another. And you, you can't always, um, you know, lead by popular vote. But you have to take all the information that you have and you have to make the best decision as a leader. Uh, and, and that involves listening. And, and I want women of this state to be able to speak up and speak out, and I want them to be heard. The president, if nothing else, is divisive, and he's, he's sort of, um, you know, cutting through the pie, if you will, and he's increasing our size of that pie by these comments that he made Tuesday night.